You're listening to Expanding Horizons, the podcast of the Unitarian Church of South Australia, a home of progressive spirituality and free religious thought and action since 1854. The views expressed in these podcasts are those of the speaker and are not intended to represent the position of the church itself or of the worldwide Unitarian Universalist movement. For more information, visit unitariansa.org.au. everybody. Great to see you all here. Special treat today with the contribution by the children. Just a couple of quick notices. One is that a walking stick has been found at Shady Grove. So if you're missing a walking stick, and actually I don't know how you walked out of there without it, then uh, you don't have to walk all the way back to retrieve it. Contact Mary at the, in the office if it's your walking stick. I let people know that there's an updated history booklet, history of the Unitarian Church in the foyer. That's free. You can pick that up on the way out. And also at the very end, we need to just shift the piano around 90 degrees for a performance that's taking place during the week. So if a couple of blokes could help me with that, it'd be great. And I just let everybody know that they can make a contribution on the way out, either tap and pay with a card or cash helps us keep going. That's appreciated. And in saying welcome, I make the point that people of every background, ethnicity, gender, sexuality and age are welcome here. I shall light the chalice. But first I would like to recognise that we're on the traditional lands of the Ghana people. And today, more than usual, I ask people to think about that. We respect their elders, past and present. But there is a special reason, I think, for us to do so. This country, well over a hundred years ago, was settled by people from England, then other parts of Europe, and then finally in the last 70 years from pretty well all over the world. But people lived here before that, and on these Adelaide Plains, the Ghana people had a pretty good life in that they had plenty of food, they had plenty of water, and lived in relative peace until people from England came. At the beginning, it was a kind of sharing of the space as the European people set up camp at Holdfast Bay and along the banks of the Torrens River. But soon the English people wanted space to run sheep and cattle and they pushed the Ghana people further and further out. From the point of view of the English settlers, the Aboriginal people had no land ownership. They didn't have bits of paper that would give them title to the land according to the English legal system. And so it was considered conquered land, a land to which the people, the inhabitants, had no right, despite the fact that in a way they had something more important, which was a strong spiritual connection with the land. And their dream time 
was full of stories which explained every aspect of the landscape and the sky and everything in it. And at the edges where finally Aboriginal people said, well, no, we're not going to be moving out any further. This is where we live. This is where we get our food. This is where we get our water. There was conflict and there was brutality. But that all happened in the 19th century. But the effects of that dispossession and brutality are still with us today. And we have the privilege of the benefits of that dispossession. And that is a special reason why if we ever come across Aboriginal people, they deserve our respect, no matter if they are poor, no matter if they don't talk or dress like us, no matter if they are angry, they still deserve our respect. It's a traditional part of our service that we light the flame on this chalice. The flame gives us light, but let us have space in our hearts for those that live in darkness. The flame gives warmth, but let us have space in our hearts for those that must live in the cold. And around this flame, we can sit here in peace, but let us have space in our hearts for those who must live with war. And now, some music in the Hall of the Mountain King from the Peer Gint Suite by Edvard Grieg. Thank you, Margaret. I know, I didn't do it, I chickened out. I was going to ask the children up to dance with me to that one, but maybe next year. Now, the young people take over. I'm out of here.
everybody. This year for the Sunday Club presentation, we have several different offerings. And the first is a play from our lovely young people. And we've got Hugo as the narrator, David playing Carl, Julia playing Cupcake, and... And Annabelle playing the director. And Annabelle is the director of this wonderful performance. So take it away, kids. And action. Once upon a time, there was a dotty Dalmatian named Carl, and he was a very good boy. Yes, I am. Ever since I was a pup, my mum taught me the golden rule. Treat others as you would want to be treated. Whenever I didn't know how to treat someone in my litter, I'd just think about how I wanted to be treated. He was friends with a black cat named Cupcake, and she tolerated him, as cats do. Carl, what are you going to do today while the food givers are at work? Today is Random Act of Kindness Day. I'm going to do randomly kind things for all the other pets. That sounds interesting. Who are you going to start with? I'm going to give Carrots one of my bones. You're going to give Carrots, the rabbit, one of your bones? Yes, she'll love it. I always love bones. And off he went before Cupcake could say another word. Dogs. <laughs> Sometime later, Carl came back, his tail between his legs. What's wrong, Carl? Carrots didn't like the bones at all. She was so mad, she even thumped her feet at me. I wonder why. It's a great mystery. I guess she's just in a bad mood. Maybe treats aren't the best vehicle for cross-species bonding? <laughs> Maybe you're right. I'll try a toy next. I'm going to give Scales my very best ball. It's going to be hard to part with it, but it will be okay to see Scales happy. You're going to give Scales, the snake, one of your balls? <laughs> yes. He'll love chasing it. <laughs> How will Scales chase it, Carl? With his legs. His legs. Carl? Yes, Cupcake, that's how chasing the ball works. <laughs> Carl, does Scales the snake have legs? Oh, well, I guess not. <laughs> Maybe if you want to play with Scales, then you should ask him how he wants to play and do that. Carl blinked at Cupcake and then moved off at a slower pace, deep in thought. Carl was gone for a long time, which gave Cupcake a chance to catch up on her Sudoku, but eventually he came back. <laughs> hey, Carl, how did things go with Scales? Amazing! I asked him if he wanted to play, and he said yes, so I asked him how. So we went to a sunny... Sp he said there was a sunny spot in the yard that he never got to go to because it was too far away. So I asked him to hop on my back, and I took him there, and we sunbathed in the sun. <laughs> you sunbathed? Yes, it was great. I rolled onto my back, and I could feel the sun on my belly. And Scales loved it. 
Gosh, Carl, I think I might be a little jealous. That sounds great. Yes, it went so well. I went back to Carrot's rabbit hutch and apologised for the bones, and I asked her what she wanted. Really? And what did she want? Clover. Honestly, I tried some. I'm not a fan. But Carrots liked it, and that's the important thing. Well, it sounds like you've learnt something today. Yeah, when I was a pup, my mum would always say, treat others as you would want to be treated. It made a lot of sense when we were all puppies, but now I have a lot of different friends with different needs. Carl, you've discovered the platinum rule. Treat others how they want to be treated. That means I have to ask them what they want. Exactly. Now let's go get some catnip. Yuck, cupcake. Just kidding, Carl. I'm going to have some catnip. What would you like? Some delicious bones. Let's go. The end. Uh, And cut. Do it again. Thank you, Anara, for giving me my cue. So this year and in previous years, myself, David, Kutzia, lots of the parents have helped the kids come up with plays. But we know these young ladies did their coming of age a few months ago, and so they've completely come up with this play themselves, along with Amelie. And they've really just worked really beautifully and gotten on with it, which is fantastic. Now, at the last minute, Emily can't do it, so Saskia is stepping in for one of the roles, but we can see all the great work that all four of them did writing it together. So take it away, girls. Wow, another successful carol run. I know, Christmas is so awesome. I love singing carols, and we've already had five successful carol runs this week. I know, five successful carol runs this week, and it's only Tuesday. Christmas is the best. And that's not even considering the presents, and the food, and the decorations, and of course, spending time with friends and family. Do you want to do another carol run, else too? Sure thing, Elf One. La, 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 la. <laughs> ah, finally some peace and quiet. La, 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 la. Oh. Elf One, Elf Two, come here right now. Yes, Mr. Grinch. Wait, I thought I was going to say that. Yes, Mr. Grinch. I keep telling you I hate the sound of those carols. They're so cheery and Christmassy and loud. I know. Aren't they awesome? All I want is for you to stop singing these annoying Christmas carols right outside my house. But we want to share the the gifts of Christmas with everyone. What if not everyone wants to have the gifts of Christmas shared with them? But why would someone not like the gifts of Christmas? They're just so... Wonderful. I don't like the gifts of Christmas, you fools. (laughs) But 
Why? It's too happy and cheery for me. I don't understand how people would like giving gifts on a random day everyone decided to call Christmas. You're no fun. Maybe if those two elves came up with an idea to make me like Christmas, I might allow them to sing and celebrate. But they could never. I hate Christmas. Elves, come here this instant. I have a proposal I would like to share with you. What is it? I have decided if you come up with an idea to make me like Christmas, I will allow you to celebrate it on the day. Uh, wow, that's great. Really? Yes, don't make me reconsider. I expect it by tomorrow evening, the night before Christmas. You're in for a treat! What did he do this time? Well, you see, the Grinch said we could sell. The Grinch said that if we get something that'll make him like Christmas, she'll let us celebrate it. Well, you know what? I have just the thing for you. Elf one, elf two, your time is nearly up. We are here, and we have just a surprise for you. Well, get on with it then. Well, I know you're not feeling the Christmas spirit. But I'm here to change that for good. Ta-da! Oh, oh wow, that really changed me. How do you? <laughs> How do you feel? Like magic. I can't believe I never knew the spirit of Christmas. I、oh, elf one and elf two. I'm so sorry I ever doubted you. Even though I may not like Christmas, I still should have respected your. That's okay. We knew you'd have a change of heart. David will just be putting up some slides here because we've had a wonderful year at Sunday Club, and one of our other traditions, apart from doing plays, is we always do our gratitudes. And so I'll now be inviting the kids up to share some of their gratitudes from this year. And while that's happening,、um, there'll be some images from our year for you to see as well. Okay, so could the first person to come up please be Anara? What are you thankful for? I am thankful for the school year having finally officially ended.、Um, I can take a little bit of break from the stress of assignments, and that I can start the next year fresh. But also going into Icky Year Nine, which is not good, but that's fine. Icky, <laughs> here you go. I'm Sophie. Um, I'm thankful for how much I've learnt throughout the whole year, including at school, at Sunday Club, and 
in all of my extracurriculars as well. I feel like I've really grown. Excellent. Thanks, Sophie. Ellie? I'm thankful for everyone who helped run, organise and just help us on the Pioneers Women's Walk for helping us with that really big task. Thank you. Now, if Saskia could come up. What are you grateful for? I'm grateful that I got to have a part in the play. Excellent. Thank you. Okay, Julia? I'm grateful for everyone that's supported my learning and my growth this year. Okay, Hugo? I'm grateful for all my friends who I have had a chance to play with and have new experiences with. What are you grateful for? I'm grateful for Big David and organisers of church for setting up the talent show. Fantastic. Okay. We just come over a bit from behind the piano. Okay, so another tradition that we have at Sunday Club is we always love to wish you a Merry Christmas. So we'll sing you a Merry Christmas first of all, and then for the second time round, if you'd like to join us, that would be wonderful. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings we bring. To you and your kin, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings we bring to you and your kin, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Um, Thank you so much and obviously we couldn't have Sunday Club without the support of lots of other people here. We're all really grateful that our children have such wonderful role models and people who care for them so that they can enjoy being part of this community. Well done kids, you did a great job. Grab all your paraphernalia and off you go. Oh, we're having a story. Sit down here on the mat (laughs) and we will have a story and then we'll go. Who should I give the mic to? Well, it's time for a nice sad story from Uncle Chris the Minister. Perhaps I can, because I haven't even thought about Christmas yet. It's two weeks away and I haven't even thought about Christmas shopping. I'll just sit down here. It starts off with the children of the town out playing in the field outside the town. And a little girl comes running towards them and she's quite distraught. Okay, hint, sad story coming up. Um, And uh, immediately uh, she bursts into tears and tells them that she comes from the village over the hill where a giant is chasing and terrorising the villagers and possibly even eating some of them. And in the confusion with people running in all directions, she got separated from her parents and ran over the hill, but at least she was safe with the children of the town. And they were bright young children, and they thought, well, we can't really fight a giant, but we need to get some help. Who shall we ask? So the first person they thought of was the priest. So they went to the big stone church in the middle of the town, and then the priest wasn't there. Uh, So they went to the palace next door, and the priest was there. One of these priests that wears a uniform, and they said, we need help because... 
this little girl, she said her name was Ajna, and she is running away from a giant that's been, you know, scaring all of the villagers. And the priest said, well, actually, something you may not have known, the giant actually helped us build the church in this town and, and this nice palace which I happen to live in. And it probably wouldn't be a good idea to go around upsetting the giant. Come to church on Sunday and, and we'll talk about it. So the children weren't really happy with that. So they thought, who else could help? And they thought, oh, okay, maybe the police officer, because the town had a very good police officer. And they went to the police officer and they said to her, can you help us? There's a giant over the hill that's scaring all the villagers and little Ajna here, she's trying to find her parents and everything. And the police officer said, well, I carry out my duties to the best of my abilities in this town, fighting crime, but the other side of the hill is outside of my jurisdiction and my job and person specification does not extend to interrogating uh, giants or other people of unusually large physique. <laughs> they didn't get much joy there. So the children all went to the governor's house, a huge mansion, and knocked on the door. The, one of the servants let them in, and the governor, hearing all this commotion, put on his jacket and came down to the yard and said, what's going on here? And the children explained the story of little Ajna running away from the giant and how she lost her parents and everything. And the governor said, well, well, well I'm going to stop you right there because the giant happens to be a close personal friend of mine. And uh, I think you might have got the wrong end of the stick. Giants don't terrorise people. They're great friends. So I, I think if you know what's good for you, you'll just forget about the whole thing. Uh, disappointed, the children thought there must be somebody we can get help from. And then they thought of the wise old woman that lived on the mountain up above the town. So they trekked up the side of the mountain to the little hut where the wise old woman lived. And she heard them knocking and let them in. There was plenty of room to sit down in her hut. And although she was blind, she was delighted in the presence of the children. And she asked them to tell her the story. And they told her the story of Ajna running away from the giant and how she was missing her parents, how they'd gone to each of the people in the town for help. And the wise old woman said, well, when you come across injustice, you must do what you can to fix it. But in this case, you're quite right. If you challenged the giant by yourselves, the giant will probably just do something nasty to you. And if you can't do something to correct the injustice, then you should at least speak up about it. And you have spoken up about it. And that didn't get any result either. And there are times in life when you see an injustice, you can't do anything, even speaking up doesn't seem to have any effect. And then you must just find peace within yourself about the situation, because this is the way of the world. So the children left rather disappointed because they were thinking that she would perform some sort of magic and put the giant in a cage or drop the giant into the middle of the sea or something. But they went home and Ajahn was adopted by one of the families and they all become great friends. And every time that they weren't doing their chores or going to school, they would get together and talk about how when they grew up, they would become more powerful and clever and work out a way of restricting the giant and finding Ajna's parents. But that becomes a story for another day. So that's the end of the story. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs>
well, you can imagine what happens for the next story. But that is all for today. So it's off to Sunday Club. to another regular part of our service, which is uh, lighting candles to represent our joys and concerns. And I'll light the first candle expressing a joy, which I'm sure we're all feeling at the exuberance of our wonderful young people. Would anyone else like to come and share something with us? Good. Well, look, I'll light a final candle for those joys and concerns that we all have in our hearts, but are not right for speaking about just at the moment. Let's just take a moment of reflection, pray if you will, or at least contemplate these words. We come across much suffering in the world, sometimes far away, sometimes very close to us. Sometimes our own health issues we have to deal with. And yet there's at the same time so much to be grateful for. So many people around us offering kindness and love. So many people around the world working for peace. We do what we can. We say what we can. Let us be at peace. Let the world be at peace. Please stand. And thank you. Now, Tommy will come forward with a reading for us. On Children by Khalil Gibran, 1883-1931 from his book of poetry, The Prophet. And a woman who held a babe against her bosom said, Speak to us of children. And he said, Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts. For they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls. For their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, 
which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backward, nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children, as living arrows, are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness. For even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. Thanks, Tommy. Beautifully read. And now some more music from Margaret. Grieg again.
beautiful moment, played with such finesse. Thank you. Well, I uh, speak today about youth, young people. Now, somebody may want to leave at this point to get the pizzas from the pizza restaurant, and I'll keep talking until you get back. <coughs> well, see, I think I can. Uh, well, first of all, celebrating what we've seen uh, from our group of young people this morning really warms our hearts to see them up here expressing themselves. And of course, so much of what they did, they created themselves. It's uh, so wonderful to see them with us. However, society has quite an ambivalent attitude toward young people. Fortunately, for most, most of the time, uh, young children especially will conform to the boundaries that are set by their parents. And it's essential that there are those boundaries. That's how we learn to socialise and to behave without causing harm to others. Teenagers, however, are notorious for pushing the boundaries. And it's inevitable, given the messages and constraints and orders imposed upon them by parents, teachers peers and others, it's inevitable that they will cross the line at times as they become the person, the adult they really are. So although we admire our young people and appreciate them here, I wonder if anyone here is also one of those people who says, kids these days, or something like that. Uh, certainly there are plenty of people out there who, who express that sort of tone. I had already prepared these reflections when this morning... Oh, look at that. Um, I'd already prepared these reflections this morning when there was a, an article in the daily newspaper, not that I'm recommending it, but on page two, I think it was, an article about youth crime, youth gangs... So, I, in fact, before this, uh, I had investigated the youth crime crisis for you and found that over the last decade, youth crime rates have reduced in every Australian jurisdiction other than the Northern Territory. So that should have been the headline, really. And I wondered if it has always been thus. I started doing some historical study First, I went back to a, uh, just a few years, a 2016 newspaper report. Quote, The tragic truth is that America's millennials are a bunch of phone-addicted, selfie-obsessed, hashtagging, snapchatting, kale-munching, lazy, whining, ill-informed, politically correct, cosseted narcissists who find absolutely everything mortally offensive. So that was just a few years ago. Um, Interesting test for you. How much of that did you agree with? Anyway, uh, I went back further. A hundred years ago to another newspaper report. We, we defy anyone who goes about with his eyes open to deny that there is, as never before, an attitude on the part of young folk which is best described as grossly thoughtless, rude and utterly selfish. Right? Going back still further. Whither has the manly vigour and athletic appearance of our forefathers flown? Can these be their legitimate heirs? 
Surely no. A race of effeminate, self-admiring, emaciated fribbles can never be descended in a direct line from the heroes of Poitiers and Agincourt. That was from the Town and Country magazine in England in 1771. Although I haven't worked out what a fribble is. And we can go back over 2,300 years ago. Aristotle, well known as a grumpy old man, wrote about the younger generation, they think they know everything and are always quite sure about it. So what happens between the innocence and exuberance of youth, the eagerness to explore the emotional roller coasters of life, and on the other hand, the descent into grumpiness, when the manners and behaviour of youth are viewed with disapproval? There are two answers I can suggest. One is the acceptance of the conditioning that we receive, not always positive, about how to behave, how to conform, which often leads to us covering up our true self and potential. Then there's also the disheartening process of facing disappointment, the disappointments of life, as aspiration and idealism clash with reality. The expectations and admonitions are, are loaded onto us at an early age. They cow the ego into conforming behaviour. Don't frighten the horses. Mind your manners. Don't put the butter knife in the jam. <clears throat> so one accepts that this is how we are socialised and parental rules quite rightly limit offensive or harmful behaviour. However, some of these messages extend beyond the rules of polite behaviour to how we should identify as a person, even as far as our sexuality, our choice of occupation, and who we might choose as an intimate partner. And you need to accept who you are in order to overcome these restraints. You need to know who you are, and it takes time. It takes experimentation, and it takes a lot of affirming love along the way. And the other aspect to what we call growing up is the disappointments and the rejections we face. I just want to take an example, the life of Khalil Gibran. He was born in poverty in 1883 in what is now Lebanon. When he was 12, his mother took the courageous, difficult decision to take him, his two younger sisters and a half-brother, to America, seeking a better life for the family. They settled in Boston. At the beginning of his life in America, he was called filthy, because of his dark skin. He was called stupid because he could barely speak English. He was put in the special class at school. And this is not so distant because it happened to a lot of the migrants we have in Australia today. In the years he turned 19 and 20 years old, Khalil lost one sister and his half-brother to tuberculosis and his mother died of cancer also. In one of his novels, he wrote, Out of suffering have emerged the strongest souls. The most massive characters are seared with scars. And he's best known for his book, The Prophet, full of such beautiful thoughts as we heard in the poem read earlier on children. We learn as we go through life that we can't have everything we want. We may have special talents that the world, frankly, doesn't care much about. 
For every wonderful actor we see on stage, for every wonderful writer we read, for every wonderful musician, there are a thousand out there who weren't able to find a place to take the stage. And often, not wanting our children or grandchildren to live in relative poverty, we often give them the advice to take a steady job, to have a profession to fall back on. Is it the right advice? Perhaps any advice is only valid if it's been asked for, not imposed. There was a point when I was a young man, I was at a crossroads, considering what sort of work I was going to do. One option was a vocation which never would have been lucrative. The easy option, in a way, was to continue with my law degree. At this time, I was working as a night porter at a block of apartments. In a kind of synchronicity, I met two different men, both about 50 years of age, in the space of a few days. One was a colleague of mine, a night porter. He was an actor, by which I mean he had graduated from NIDA, at that time considered the premier acting school of Australia, and he had been in and out of work, mostly out of work, over the previous 30 years. And at age 50, he was carrying people's bags to pay the rent. The other person I met and chatted to at the same time was a lawyer who, over the previous 30 years, had flown back and forth between his properties in Australia and Hong Kong, making a lot of money. So it struck me at the time that these two men were alternative images of my future life. Reflecting on this and thinking about having a family one day, I went on to finish my law degree, for better or worse. Over the years, it's common, I think, for our dreams to be pulled back to within a manageable position. But if you ever have the fantasy to be young again, you're not alone. It's a fantasy with a very long history. There is a reference to the elixir of life in the Mesopotamian epic of Gilgamesh, written over 3,000 years ago. The same concept is found in old Chinese, Indian and Japanese literature. A similar concept, the Fountain of Youth, was seriously searched for by the ancient Greeks, the Crusaders and the Spanish colonisers of the Americas. So we sometimes yearn to have once again our youthful vigour, good health and good looks. But haven't you heard it said... If only I knew then what I know now. So in other words, we want to be young again, but please, not foolish again. In light of this, I want to turn to something in the holy books. What did Yeshua, in English often called Jesus, what did he mean when he said, now people were bringing little children to Yeshua so that he might touch them, But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Yeshua saw this, he got angry. He told them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Amen. I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. That was from chapter 10 of the book ascribed to Mark, the first and most reliable among the biographical stories in the Christian Bible. So I'm quite prepared to believe that Yeshua said such a thing, given that it is such a striking metaphor 
and consistent with other reported stories and sayings. One must say straight away that the kingdom of God there was never intended to refer to a material jurisdiction and force on this earth. Put simply, it refers to a state of peace and love. What could Yeshua have meant then to say that one must become as a little child in order to arrive at that state? What are the qualities of a young child that he might have had in mind? Innocence? Absence of fear? Absence of the conditioning that I spoke about earlier? Before society's messages, you can't do this and you can't have that identity. Before those messages sink in. I remember when I went to pick up one of my daughters from kindergarten many years ago, with complete disregard for the diversity of gender and ethnicity and skin colour among the children, they all played happily together. Can we, on the one hand, comprehend and appreciate the need for a degree of conformity in order to navigate polite society while being true to ourselves and at peace with ourselves? Can we unpack and abandon all of the unhealthy restraints imposed and accepted by us, by all the naysayers along the way through our lives? Can we let go of all of the grievances that pile up, along with the disappointments and rejections in our lives? In order that we might retain or discover again a sense of wonder at our own talents and the talents and gifts of those we meet, of every person we meet, to be able to operate in this world with the demands and persuasions of other egos, in a world in which we can't get everything we want, and yet retain a childlike wonder at the world, and a willingness to play freely with all the other children in the yard. Can we? Margaret, as we ponder that question, would you play us a final piece of music, please? We hope you've enjoyed this Expanding Horizons podcast. These podcasts are the intellectual property of the presenter. They can be used only with the express permission and appropriate acknowledgement of the presenter. This permission can be obtained by emailing admin at unitariansa.org.au. Please feel free to leave a comment or visit us on Facebook or Twitter by searching SA Unitarians or by visiting our website at unitariansa.org.au.